good morning to you. I remember your face. Yeah. I, I would not have been able to call you. Your, your spiritual development classes. I, yep. I, was, I was there for a couple semesters and I had you. So when I saw you were coming, I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> we're excited to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. Maybe you can catch a nap during this sermon. Don't do that. Those are catchy. Those are catchy. Don't do that. Oh. <laughs> 
When darkness speaks a louder word Than the truth that we have heard We will fight to believe And remember Carpenter's Way. It's good to see all your faces this morning. Hey, if you're visiting with us, we want to say welcome. If you're not visiting with us, we want to say welcome. Uh, if you want to stand, you can. You don't have to. But if you want to stand in worship, uh, totally up to you. Uh, no pressure. But if you want to, you can. If you don't, you can stay seated. Uh, something we pretty much say every week. Uh, don't be a spectator, right? Join in with us.
whose power cannot be shaken, whose breath gives us.
Once a sinner, now I'm clean. Once condemned, now I'm made free. He turned my darkness into light, and now I see. Once in ashes, there's beauty. Once in pieces, I'm complete. My Redeemer now resides. He lives in me. teach kids. Anyway, this is our sword. We're going to read together. Come on out. 
Oh my goodness. I'm sorry y'all missed all my good singing earlier. Um, sorry. Okay, uh, we're gonna read out of Lamentations. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. All it takes is a moment. All it takes is a word. To bring light to the dark and give life to this heart. You are hope, you are peace to my soul. You're the one who sustains me. You're the voice speaking truth. I could search all the earth to find something I worth, but all that I need is in you. Captivated, my heart's awakened. Oh, you are my delight, overtaken by your amazing love. I can.
All it takes is a word I am not skilled to understand What God has willed, what God has planned I only know at his right hand Stands one who is my Savior. I take him at his word indeed. Christ died to save me, this I read. And in my heart I find a need for him to be my Savior. That he would leave his place on high And come for sinful man to die You can't estrange so once did I Before I knew my Savior My Savior loves, my Savior lives My Savior is always there for me My God he was, my God he is my God is always gonna be my Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God, He's always gonna be. Yes, living, dying, let me rest. My strength, my solace from this spring. Let he who lives to be my king What's that to be my savior? That he would leave his place on high And come for sinful men to die You counted strange so once did I
God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can delight in you. We thank you so much, Lord, that you see us. You know us by name. God, you said you know everything there is about us. You knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. And it blows us away, Lord, to be able to stand before you, knowing, Lord, that we are holy and righteous and redeemed and adopted. And God, just never let that message get old. God, that we would truly delight in who you are because of who you say we are, God. We thank you so much, Lord. We ask that you'd open our hearts, our ears, to hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. All right. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, this morning might be a little bit different. Uh, we're welcoming you all to our family conference called Family Con. If you didn't know you were coming to a conference today, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Yes, so it is a little bit different as we are uh, welcoming a guest speaker this morning. Uh, Dr. Richard Ross has been a youth pastor, youth student pastor for most of his adult life, and now he is training future student pastors. He loves students, he loves families, and he's here to speak with us this morning. So let me welcome Dr. Richard Ross. I am so grateful to be standing in front of you this morning. I thank Pastor Mark for allowing me to take sermon time for Pastor Adam putting this whole thing together. This is the smartest church that I've been in recently. <laughs> building your own Chick-fil-A on your parking lot. <laughs> Jesus chicken, six days a week. I'm going back to my church, and I'm going to say, we got to do that. That was pretty smart. Now, when you heard that I was a youth minister for a long, long time, and that I still uh, think about youth ministry, and then I walk up here, you're thinking, wait a minute, a guy that got a hall pass from hospice to be here today, <laughs> he's going to talk to us about youth things. To be honest, my age is slightly becoming an issue. Uh, you're going to think this is crazy, but right now the youth pastors are inviting me to speak to citywide Disciple Now weekends much more often than in the middle years of my life. I love doing that, but actually it is a little intimidating because I generally follow some hippy-dippy band that's just young and they're exciting and they're cool, and then I walk on stage in fact, the first time in this season of life, the first time I spoke to teenagers at the Disciple Now weekend, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I went to Hewlin Mall near my house and I bought my first pair of skinny jeans. <laughs> I thought, okay, if I can just walk on platform in skinny jeans, maybe the teenagers won't think this is totally ridiculous. But the hotel they gave me, I was changing clothes, getting ready for the first service and things did not go well. Have you ever tried to pull skinny jeans over adult diapers? You ever tried to do that? And Pastor Mark is thinking, what have we brought in this morning? No, there was good news in that service because the teenagers knew, well, at least it's going to be brief. <laughs> anyway, God did show up and some wonderful things happened and we had a wonderful time together. So many of you out in the lobby, different places, have walked up and greeted me. This is a happy, positive church. So much so 
that I think if I ask you guys to all get up and do something, I think if you saw a reason for it, I think you'd get up and try to cooperate. You've been standing up a while, so I'm not going to ask you to stand up one more time, but I do want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that, you know, to kick off the sermon, I want you to imagine I had everybody in the room stand up, and then, strangely, what if I ask the entire group of you to crowd all the way across the front? I, I think we would probably fit tight. If we did that demonstration and you were being cooperative and you were walking down here, but I had given instructions about different places to stand, you know, I think most of you would try your best to, to, to get in the right spot. Since we're not doing it for real, use your imagination. What if you were work, walking down here and I had already said, let's have one group form up right over here in this large space, one group form up here, and if you stand over here, you're going to be saying, I am on my way toward God. Somebody is out there. I am no atheist. I got up this morning, decided a church was a good place to find answers. I'm here to say I'm on my way toward God. Now, if we did the demonstration and we actually had a group standing here, everybody would be happy about that. You would all be thinking, hey, brother, sister, love your honesty, love your openness, you're in the right place. Do hope you find your way toward God. But I think a whole bottom, in fact, the majority of you would say, God bless those folk, but that, that's not really where I would stand. Maybe I would be part of that big group, you know, right in front of the pulpit. And if I was in that big group, I would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained to me I could actually have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. I received that wonderful gift. No, I'm not on my way toward God. I know Him, but I'm standing here and not some other places because even though I know Jesus, these days the most important person in my world would be me. Now, now by that I mean, you know, Monday through Saturday, just trying to get through the week. I guess, you know, my kids, my finances, my health concerns... You know, just the normal things that make up life. I guess I probably would have to say that's on my mind most of the time. Now, I do tell Jesus my troubles. In fact, I don't even know how these people get by. If you can't tell Jesus your troubles, my oh my. But even when I tell him my troubles, really what I'm preoccupied with is me. Now, the people that ought to stand over here, not entirely true or sure that they would come, because the same people that belong over here also tend to be humble. Maybe a friend of theirs would have to bring them over. But regardless, if we had a group over here, they would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. I finally met Christ, made him Savior of my life, and I cannot take credit for a single thing that's happened in my Christian life. No, all the credit, all the glory goes to God. But somehow, by his grace, I would have to say this morning, that the most important person in my world would be Jesus. Now, by that I mean, he is the one that's on my mind. Now, I have the same problems everybody else has. Oh, my goodness, I could tell you my troubles. But, you know, even in the midst of my troubles, what I'm really asking myself is, oh, I wonder how Jesus is going to draw attention to himself through this difficulty, oh, through this trial, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom more on the earth. 
same thing for my family. I mean, we may be sitting on the couch. We're saying to each other, man, this is tough. This is hard. I wonder what Jesus is doing now. I wonder how he'll be glorified while we're going through this situation. What I would have to say is only by his grace, the preoccupation of my life is Jesus. Lost, convert, and to use Jesus' favorite name for these people, disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. Now you and I both know there's a lot of research floating around out there that is silly, you don't pay any attention to it, but actually there is some very credible research. The credible research says, if I grow up in a home and nobody in that house knows Jesus, my parents are lost. Now, they, they might be good people, but if my parents are lost, the statistical probability is that I will grow up and I will spend my entire adult life lost. Now, you and I both know there's some exceptions. In fact, several of you this morning are the exception. You would say, I grew up in, in a house, nobody of faith in that house, but as an adult, Somehow, miraculously, I met the Lord. Yes, those exceptions exist, but there's not very many of them. The good research says, if I grow up in a family and my mom and dad are disciples, not perfect, of course, but generally speaking, if my mom and dad have Jesus first in their lives, if they make decisions based on the glory of Christ, if I'm watching that, if Jesus is a topic of conversation in our house, and I see that for 18 years, the statistical probability is that I will become a disciple of Jesus. Again, there are some exceptions. Some of you might say, Brother Richard, Brother Richard I'm a little bit older. I think we were disciples when we reared our children, but some rejected the faith, went another way. Yes, a few exceptions exist, but not very many. In general... Lost parents produce lost young adults. Disciple parents produce disciple young adults. Convert parents produce children who tend to live their lives as if they're lost. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm really talking about lifestyle. You see, growing up, growing up, if we go down to the church on Sunday... We fit in just fine on Sunday mornings. We know how to say the words. You know, we, we do fine at church. But when we get home, the rest of the week, I can tell that church business, that's not really what's most important in our house. It seems like all the conversation in my house has to do with traveling teams and trophies and flowers on the 50-yard line and SAT scores and a lot of other things. If that Sunday morning profession doesn't seem nearly as important as those other things, the dissonance between those two things, it kind of fries my wiring so much so that when I go off to the big bad university, I don't have enough faith to hold me. Any campus minister will tell you, when those freshmen walk on campus, in only two or three weeks, they are already starting to behave like the lost students. Maybe the most important sentence I will say in this sermon is the next one. 
the future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. Now, you might protest by saying, Brother Richard, we're in a great church. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry, they are top class, and they are. And church matters. I will speak about that later. But mom and dad, this is what you cannot possibly do. You cannot possibly believe my responsibility is to get my family in a good church so that somebody up there will straighten my kids out and make them religious. These are not dry cleaning issues. You don't drop kids off at church and hope to pick them up clean and pressed. Mom and dad, what I'm here to say to you primarily is this. The way things are going to go for your children when they are adults hinges mostly on the spiritual life of mom and dad. This is not the first time I have preached this sermon. Did you know, interestingly, I go to a different state just about every weekend, and in two completely different states, I have had almost identical experiences lately. In two different states, when I finished this message and went out into the hallways for the next activity, in two different places, a man has found me. In both cases, I would say these men were probably, let's say, 55. And in both cases, when those men found me, they stood a little bit too close to me, and they thumped me on the chest, and both of them said almost the exact same words. They said, Ross, you better keep preaching that sermon because it's the truth. And two different men in two different states said, Ross, my adult sons won't give me the time of day. And in two different states, they also said, and my sons have said to me, if you want to see your grandkids, you've got to swear to me, you're not going to be talking religion to them, I won't have it. And so those men then turned to me to say, my grandkids obviously are not in church. They're not hearing the gospel at all. So my two choices are, keep my mouth shut, do get to see them, but they don't even go to heaven, or I try to talk to them about their faith and I'm cut off and never see them again. My friends, I'm saying something to you that is important. The issue is your heart. And there are implications of that that are real world implications. In fact, this whole subject of the heart has been interesting to me lately. Back at the seminary, I'm sure some people would say I was wasting my time but back at the seminary, I sat down and I did an exhaustive study of this concept of the heart from Genesis to Revelation. I found so many passages. I would love right now in the message to read to you every passage that I found. But if I did that, the Methodists would beat us to the cafe. Nope, nobody really wants that this morning. So instead of reading all of them, how about, how about I just give you some high spots? Actually, you know these scriptures, you know these. Jeremiah 17.10, 
I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. I'm telling you, it's the heart. If we had done the demonstration this morning, I mean literally, if we had packed down here, and you would have found yourself standing over here, what I want to say to you, dear friend, is there is nothing going on in this message for you that is more important than for you to consider, do I want to know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and would I be open to having a conversation with someone after the service in that direction? For you, that's the most important thing. But for the vast majority of you, you're not considering the possibility, am I spiritually lost? Really what's going through your mind right now is this very interesting question, am I a convert or am I a disciple? That's really interesting. Once again, I have preached this in the past. Sometimes even a senior adult will come to me after I walk off the platform and they will take my hand and they will say, Brother Richard, some people would even say, I'm, I'm an anchor of this church. But this morning is the first morning I've ever struggled with the question, am I a convert or am I a disciple? It's an interesting question. Now, we have lots of meters today, but we don't have a meter we can poke you with that says convert or disciple. It doesn't exist. So how about I just throw out some questions and let you make up your mind. I'm not going to dictate this. You decide, am I standing here or am I standing here? First question. Bottom line, why are you sitting here this morning? Why? Bottom line. Think about it. I just wonder, have you had a little hunch in the back of your mind? If you go down to the church, keep your nose clean, put a dollar in the plate, have you always kind of had a hunch, if I'm a church-going person, I think your life just turns out better. I think if you go to church and your wife gets cancer, she'll probably pop right back. I bet if you go to church and you get laid off, I bet you get another job, probably get a raise in the process. I think if you go to church, you have better looking kids. Have you just had this idea that if I'm kind of religious and go to church, life's going to go better for me, and actually, that's why I'm here this morning. Would that be true for you at all? Or would you say, Brother Richard, if I know my heart, I'm sitting in this place, because I adore Jesus Christ, the King of glory, and yes, I worship at home, but there's just something wonderful about being with God's people, telling my King that I adore Him. I love His written Word so much that I'm always anxious for anything from Him that's going to transform my life more. Would you say, basically, you're here this morning for you, or would you say, basically, I am here this morning for Him? Right there. If you're a parent, let me ask you an additional question. Deep in your heart, would you say, my number one goal for my children 
trumps all others. My number one goal for my kids is this. I want my kids to succeed in life. Whatever they take on, whatever they get into, I want my kids to be successful. And I will do whatever it takes to give my kids a boost to help them succeed. Would you say that is your number one goal in your life? Or would you say, my number one goal for my children above everything else is I want my kids to be genuinely happy. I don't want depressed kids. I don't want suicidal kids. What I want are kids who are happy with their lives. Or would you say, my number one goal, my primary goal for my children is I want them to be upright. I want them to be moral. I don't want them to get involved in all that stuff out there. What I'm trying to do more than anything is get upright, moral kids. Would you say that's your number one goal? You know what would be interesting for you to hear? Atheists have three goals for their kids. The research is clear. They either want their kids to be successful or be happy or they want their kids to be upright. If you would say, well, one of those is mine, then I would say you're in great company because that's exactly what the atheists want. I just wondered, once again, deep inside of you, would you say what I desire for my children, far beyond their worth, earthly success, what I desire for my children is that they would bring great glory to God with their lives. What I care about more than anything is that my child would fulfill the purpose he or she was placed on earth with, and they would do all of that for the glory of God. Which of those two groups would you be in? Now, that's an interesting adult sermon. I mean, if we were just adults this morning, that would be an interesting adult thing to consider. But you see, the stakes are higher than that. Because I've already showed you, statistically speaking, where we stand, where our heart is, that primarily is going to dictate what happens to these kids in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Mom and Dad, you come home from church years in the future. It's 12.30, you're trying to get your lunch together, and it occurs to you to call your adult child just to chat about something. And you call your adult child, once again, it's 12.30 on a Sunday, and you can tell that you just woke them up. And you're thinking, if I woke them up, that means the kids are still in bed too. Can you imagine the possibility of our going to heaven and our kids and grandkids might not be there? This is not a small issue. What I'm saying to you is the condition of our hearts has grave consequences for the generation and the generation following them coming after us. I want to make a couple of comments. I want to say something about this big middle group. Did you know this big middle group was never part of the plan of Jesus, ever? You say, Mr. Seminary Professor, you're probably going to need to prove that to me. Okay, I will. I, I think we could put Jesus over here, right? <laughs> Let's put Jesus over here with the disciples. Who's he preaching to on earth? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who's he preaching to? Lost people. So what does Jesus say over here to the lost people? He does this every sermon. He either says, come and follow me, or he says, come and be my disciple. He always says, come, lost person, and walk right into a life of discipleship with me. This was never part of the plan of Jesus at all. And yet, this 
is the majority of the American church right here. People don't misunderstand me. I am as horrified by the bad people out there as anybody in this room. That that is a concern. But the things the bad people are doing are not as great a threat to this nation as a lethargic church that has lost its spirit and zeal because we're kind of just in the middle. Once again, that's an interesting adult sermon, but I'm trying to ramp it up by saying, yeah, but it's not just us. It's the generation coming after us. I, I want to give you three challenges, and I think you're going to see these as positive. These are positive challenges. And now grade schoolers, teenagers, college students, everybody can really grab a hold now because what I'm about to say, this is for everybody. My challenge to each one of you first is this. You be awakened to who Jesus actually is today. You be awakened to who Jesus actually is today. And of course, that begs the question, then who is he today? Well, let me ask you a factual question. This October morning, is Jesus sitting on the edge of a well in the Middle East with children in his lap? No. He did that. He's not doing that this morning. Well, this morning, is he walking around in the Middle East in a robe somewhere? No. That's not what he's doing this morning. I actually know what he's doing this morning. In fact, I know where he is sitting. The Bible tells us. Watch. Watch this piece of Bible history. Jesus rises from the grave. First Easter morning, we all know about that. All right, just start counting. Jesus rises from the grave. Count 40 days. 40 days. On the 40th day, Jesus that day is standing on the Mount of Olives, right? We know that he bids farewell to his followers, and we also know that he started going up, up, up into the clouds. Most of you know that story. But I want to ask you this. What happened to Jesus right after he went through the clouds? Do you know? I know. The Bible says so. David was allowed to see 1,000 years into the future to see this scene that actually unfolded David records it in Psalm 110. I'll paraphrase Psalm 110 for you. This is what happened. Jesus went through the clouds. He returned to heaven. And as he approached his father in heaven, his father said, Son, be enthroned at my right hand. I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I will put the scepter of all authority in your hand. Once again, I'm just paraphrasing Psalm 110, 1 and 2. From that moment, Jesus was crowned king of the universe. Where he is sitting this morning is on that throne. What he's doing all the time these days, he is ruling and reigning king of kings and lord of lords. That is who he is. My dear friend, may I ask you a very personal question? When you got up this morning specifically to have private worship with Jesus, when you were with him in worship this morning and you were speaking to him, did you have any sense at all this morning, I am approaching royalty. I am approaching a king and I'm about to speak to him in his glory. Was that on your radar at all this morning? I went so long before I started figuring some of this out from Scripture. And I'm still a baby in so many ways. But I'm trying. This morning... 
In the Best Western, where you allowed me to sleep last night, in room 212, I was trying my best this morning to look across that hotel room to see an elevated throne, and I was trying my best to see King Jesus sitting there because I wanted to approach him and I wanted to speak to him as he actually is. Do you think Jesus sitting in throne can look way down there and see little Richard Ross briefly shushing the music of heaven so that I can speak and finally the king of glory is going to allow me to address him? Well, what's the first word out of my mouth? Well, it's not going to be, oh Jesus, I have so many troubles. Can I? Of course not. About all I can get out of my mouth initially is holy, holy, holy. This church believes in the second coming, right? In fact, the way things are going out there, it looks like it could be sooner rather than later. I think many of you would agree with me on that. Okay, what if it comes in our lifetime? What if you get to see it? What if you go out in your front yard because of the trumpet music and you look up and you see King Jesus descend to earth? Do you think in that moment he's going to be great and glorious? I know you do. We all believe that. Watch. Who I was speaking to in my hotel room this morning is exactly the person who is going to descend in his second coming. He doesn't turn into something. I think probably what Jesus will do that day is he'll just stand up from his throne, step over here, and drop straight to earth. It is that king. Is there any part of your worship where you are seeing and responding to him like that? Listen to me. Jesus does not exist for you. You exist for him. Be awakened to who Jesus actually is today. My second challenge is closely related. Be transparent about that awakening with your family. Be transparent. Mom and dad, I do think, in a few cases, we can be such private people at home that Jesus could be doing a new thing in our hearts. He really could be waking us up to more of his glory. But if we're too private, how would the kids ever know that? Let me make a suggestion. Dad, if, if, if I could borrow you, Dad, just to be a part of an illustration... Dad, let's just say that you and Jesus are getting along better. You, you're more feeling more alive in him. You're speaking to him as a king. And, and co consequently, you wake up a little earlier than you used to because you want to have some worship before you go to work. And this particular morning, you're in your Barker lounger and you're reading the Bible. And actually, you're having a good time. But as you're reading the Bible, you're going along and you're going, whoop, whoop. oh, man, that's a good verse. Man, I never noticed that before. That is good. Okay, what do you do about that? Well, you take your Bible to breakfast, finally your sleepy-headed high school daughter walks in, and you say, hey, sweetie, come here, come here, come here, come here. I was having my worship this morning reading the Bible. Hey, man, I found a great verse. Come here, come here, come here, read. All right. The hour following this service, the teenagers are going to be in Bible study. Is everybody happy about that? I'm happy about that. Believe in it. I believe in it. But you know what? I think that high school girl leaning over her daddy's shoulder, reading the Bible with him, I think that little scene right there, that's probably worth about 10 Sunday mornings of Bible study. Why? That's the most important man in her life. She just got a reminder, my daddy's up with Jesus early every morning, loves the Bible. When that girl is 35, the way she's parenting those kids, their life up at their church, all of that 
is going to be shaped by moments just like that. Third and finally, partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Partner with your church. I said at the outset, you cannot outsource the spiritual life of children to the church. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But even though you can't outsource that and just push that off on the church, you can, mom and dad, be very thankful for a church that will come alongside you and support you and help you as you're taking the first position. Did you know, did you know grasping what I'm saying to you this morning could cause you to listen to announcements differently? Now, I know that sounds strange, but it can. Weeks in the future, somebody is up here, maybe they throw up a slide or something, and they say, oh, we're going to do such and such for families. It's going to pull families together. It's going to help families be more spiritually alive. And you're going, wait, 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 that goes in my phone, that goes in my phone. And while you're putting that little thing in your phone, you, you have an interesting thought. You think to yourself, you know what? I didn't used to pay attention to stuff like that at all. That just that stuff went by me. I wasn't interested, but I am now. Now that I'm taking first position with my kids spiritually, now I'm looking for anything that's going to help support you partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus, not only up here, but you're also doing that even at home. I'm going to make up a little, this is just a made-up speech. I just want you to listen. This is made up. Coach, I appreciate you more than I can say. Coach, I'm just talking to you man-to-man here. I've been watching you. You've taken a special interest in my boy. and You've stayed late with him. You've opened some doors for him. Coach, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And Coach, I, I really think I understand what you've been trying to tell me. What you've been saying is, These days, those college scouts are a lot more likely to see a traveling team than a school team. We we might have a chance to get a scout to look at my son. Coach, I appreciate that. And I know you opening up the last spot on this traveling team for my son. I know you're trying to do me a big favor. But coach, in this particular league, you're telling me the boys are going to be out six Sunday mornings in a row. Coach, that's six mornings of Bible study, six mornings of worship. Coach, not only am I trying to build a blue chipper, I'm also trying to build a young man that's got a heart for God. We just can't be missing that much. I got to say no this time, and you and I will just look for some other ways that we can give my son a boost. Anybody here think that would be easy to say? No, it's not easy to say. It's hard to say. Our kids, their accomplishments, their activities, it's huge. I'm a dad, I know. But here's the principle. Even when you're looking at good things, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. If you do, the payoff comes 15 years later when you're now adult children are sitting around your Thanksgiving table and your now adult son says to you, Hey, Dad. When I was growing up, you made some decisions that I wasn't crazy about, but Dad, i got to say from my perspective now, I mean, just look at me and my family, how active we are up at the church. Dad, i got to give you a lot of the credit. You know you always kept the main thing, the main thing. Now, when Adam said to you, I had been a youth leader most of my adult life, 
you probably thought, well, that's nice. Man's probably got a house full of his own kids, loves young people. We would have liked that. I'll spare you the sad stories, but we only have one living child. And because they said we would never have children, it took us 16 years to conceive Clayton. So since we waited 16 years, he's actually still a younger adult. Now when my son was in college, he's not a preacher, not an official missionary, nothing like that. He's just a normal guy. But he does love the Lord. When he was in college, if a group of college students were going to get up a group to go to some other country to witness about Jesus, his tendency was he'd jump on the plane and go with them. But he had a little bit of a tendency to go to those places where they sometimes cut your head off for having conversations like that. Now, once again, I'm kind of a normal dad. I'm out at DFW Airport more than once looking, looking to see if my son made it home. Now, my son's been sick recently, but if he gets better, I know what's going to happen. If he gets well enough, he's going to hear of another group going overseas, and he's going to get on the plane. Now, perish the thought, perish the thought. But what if my son this time comes home in a box? What if Pastor Mark mentions on a Sunday morning, some of you would remember the tall professor from Southwestern, his son Clayton. Uh, we, we had a real loss in the Middle East, whatever. Services will be Wednesday morning, Wedgwood Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. And you have a crazy thought. You're thinking, you know, I've got business in Fort Worth. I've been needing to get up there and check on some business. I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up there and do my business, but I'm going to time that trip so that I can go to that funeral. And so you walk in Wedgwood Baptist, you'd probably sit on the back row. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if they put me about right here, and you look at me, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be crying like a schoolgirl because I love my son so much. Only child, when he comes on our campus, he'll walk halfway across campus just to give me a big bear hug. We are close. So if I'm not going to see him again on this earth, I am going to be pretty broke up about it. But you know, after the service, if you come out into our circular driveway and you catch me before they put me in a big black car, you might say, Brother Ross, you know, you came down to Lufkin and preached. Actually, I never did meet you that morning, but I just felt a connection with your message, and I had bit, well, it doesn't matter. Here I am. doesn't matter. But Brother Ross, can I ask you a quick question before they take you away? Brother Ross, how do you really feel now about the fact that you will never have a grandchild in your lap? How, how do you feel about the fact that now, Christmas Eve, you'll hand your wife one present, she'll hand you one present, you'll both go to bed, and that's how it'll be the rest of your life? How, how do you feel about the fact that eventually, you'll die in hospice alone, no, no children by your side? I can't tell you this morning how I would answer your question. But I can tell you this morning how I would hope I would answer your question. What I hope I would say is, it is well with my soul. Do you know why I would want to be able to say that? There's a reason. Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That's what he's doing down here. So if he's here for the glory of God, and the king should decree in this very unusual circumstance, I would be glorified by the death of the martyr, 
establishing the church. If that's the will of the king, how can dad say anything different from it is well with my soul? Now here's the point. This morning, Richard and Clayton are really not the issue at all. The issue this morning is every preschooler, every grade schooler, every teenager of this entire congregation, they are all on earth for the glory of God. That is the reason for their existence. Therefore, there is no part of parenting that is more important than you parenting in those very precise ways where you are making it most likely that they will live their entire adult life for the glory of God. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. Just a moment of reflection. You adults are sharp people. You're sharp. You're intelligent. Most of you are sharp enough to know, you know right in front of my face, there's a fork in the road right in front of me. And one side of that fork is, we go home, we stay the course, we just kind of keep doing what we've been doing. Yeah, we'll be religious, yes, we'll come up here some. But we won't be saying much about that at the house. And all these other activities and things going on are going to be our passion. Or, I take the other fork. And I go home and I say, you know what? We need these kids to know how to make a living. We do want to support them in lots of different ways. But nothing in our house is going to be more important than revealing to our kids that we're deeply in love with Jesus, that he is king over our lives, and that we are committed to making him paramount in our home. We are going to try our best to make every decision to establish every priority in, home, in our home based on the greatness of Christ. And then everything else we will allow to fall into place. You see, this message is not the kind of thing you can leave thinking, well, that was nice, that was inspiration. No. This message calls for a decision. And you're bright enough to know that. For some of you, this moment, this message is a time for you to just make a decision. Both of those men that thumped my chest closed that conversation to say, we went to church, but my boys never heard any of that from me. And I'm just wondering, if somebody would say, the time is short, I don't have much time with kids in my house. I'm stepping it up. I'm going to be a mom or I'm going to be a dad that my kids will clearly identify as someone for whom Jesus is supreme. Would the Holy Spirit of God call you in that direction today? Teenagers, let me ask you a question, teenagers. You may very well have children in eight or ten years. I wonder, does any of this message make sense to you? Would any of you teenagers say, by the grace of God, if I am to marry, if I am to be a parent, I am going ahead and declaring to God today 
that the king is going to be first in my home. I wonder if there's someone married and expecting this morning. I wonder if there's a baby in somebody's tummy in this auditorium and you would say from the moment of birth, we're going to rear this child where Jesus is the center of our home. We're talking about changing the future because mom and dad have made some decisions this morning to make Christ paramount first in your heart and then in your home. Pastor Adam is going to lead us in a prayer of commitment in that direction right now. Just continue with your heads bowed. Lord God, we come before you just as humbly as we know how. My heart is full this morning. Knowing that there is a decision for me to make. As a father, as the leader of my home. And there's a decision for each parent in this room. Grandparent, aunt, uncle. Expecting. I am emotional this morning because I recognize your great holiness. And the weightiness of rearing my son and my daughter to know you as king. Lord, would you help each and every one of us? To make that decision. To see the moments where it is possible for me to paint a glorious picture of who you are for my kids. Nothing is more important. Nothing. You've given us an opportunity today, Lord. And the thing about it is, is I think this is a decision that has to be ongoing. Today I might say, yeah, God, I'm going to do that. And this afternoon I might go home and I might do it. But then tomorrow comes and I've got work and I've got, you know, different things that are happening. And the kids have practice and school and homework. And I got to make supper and I got to get to the grocery store and I got to do laundry or whatever. And I might miss the moment. God, don't let me miss the moment. Don't let us let those moments slip through the cracks. Let me talk about you on the road while we're walking, while we're driving. Let me talk about you around the, the dinner table at, at night. Let me talk about you. Even if we're just sitting in the living room and we're watching a show and there's something that comes up that does not glorify you. Let me talk to my kids about that. Help us to make the decision every day, multiple times a day. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for bringing each one of us along and each uh, we're in a different place in the process. But I would think the majority of people in this room, if not all of us, we want to be in that disciple category. Not the middle of the road. And for anyone here this morning, God, that would say, you know, I, I, 
I'm, I'm, I want to move toward God. Let, that, let today be the day that they have a conversation with someone they trust, that they know loves God with all their heart and is walking with Him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, it's 1045. That is the end of our first session for FamilyCon. Um, if you didn't sign up for FamilyCon, you are uh, welcome to go to your Bible studies. If you did find, sign up for FamilyCon, we're going to take a 15-minute break, and we'll be back in here at 11 o'clock. And so I love you all. Let us go.